0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Keisha. It is an exciting day. It looks like the children got to Babylon before we are going to get to Babylon. And the book of Daniel that's being held off now until September Uh, by request just want to mention a few things before we get started this morning Um, and these are all I'm only uh, emphasizing what's already been stated tonight at five o'clock we don't have many opportunities for us all to get together this will be a great time for us to all get together 5 p.m. tonight Uh, so be here for those Celebrations. We'll get to learn a lot more about what the kids have been learning and doing this week at that time. And then also, uh, I want to remind you the ballots that you have in your uh, bulletin are sample ballots. Unless you're going to not be here next week, then it's an absentee ballot. So you can go ahead and fill it out, fold it up, put it in the basket that's around the corner. You just you go out the doors, keep turning right until you can't go anymore, and that's where you'll find the basket for um, the, the ballot. So it was a wonderful night, Wednesday night, with Kyler here. We had greet, meet and greet time. A lot of the parents got to meet him. Uh, uh, the Lord is blessing all of us as we move forward. So I want to ask you a question. Do you have a favorite chapter in the Bible? I never had a favorite chapter in the Bible until maybe 7, eight, ten years ago, and I just had to say, yeah, okay, I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm going to have to say this is my favorite. So what I'd like for us to do is on the count of three for everybody to call out your favorite chapter of the Bible. And in fact, now if you want to, uh, you can call out a, a favorite Bible verse like John 3.16. So favorite Bible chapter or favorite Bible verse on the count of three. One, two, three. Romans 8. <laughs> okay. I didn't hear any of that except Colossians 1. Often, uh, Burt Wallace is sitting down front, and when I say, what's your favorite book of the Bible? One, two, three. He's like, Amos. And I'm like, Amos? 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 I'm in Amos, actually, right now in my Bible reading. It's really great. It's a great. one. Well, there he is. kind of looks like Amos, doesn't he? I, uh, that's... <laughs> I think that's it, Beard. He's a prophet, prophet of God. We had lunch together Thursday. He was prophesying to me. So, um, I didn't have a, a favorite verse or a favorite chapter of the Bible, like I say, until maybe eight to ten years ago. And I just had to say Romans eight. Yeah, that's it. I think Romans eight is my favorite chapter of the Bible. Who said Romans eight? Anybody else? Okay. All right, two, three, four other very wise in people in the uh in, in the congregation, uh, it starts with the magnificent first verse. Therefore, there is no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. And while one could broadly say that today's text, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to to 39 is the culmination of all that has gone before in Romans. And of course it is. We've gotten to this place, and Romans is a very logical, uh, laid out, logically laid out, uh, treatise on the gospel. What we have to understand to get saved, we have to know that we're sinners. We have to know, though, that Jesus died in our place, and that through faith, chapter 4 in Romans, that we Are related to the Lord when we believe that Jesus died for our sins. So it's and then chapters uh, 511 through or five, twelve through chapter eight is a beautiful picture of sanctification. So scripture, it's just logically being laid out. So of course, Romans 8, 18 to 39 is a culmination of all that has gone before but you might want to understand this text a little more narrowly as the triumph of the Holy Spirit over the law and the flesh. According to John Stott, quote, In Romans 7, the law and its synonyms were mentioned 31 times, but the Holy Spirit only once. Whereas in the first 27 verses of chapter 8... The Holy Spirit is referred to 19 times by name. The essential contrast that Paul is painting is between the weakness of the law to save us. A lot of people, in fact, most people think that in some way in keeping a law of some sort, even if it's one they've made up in their own mind, they're going to be saved. But Paul is pointing out the weakness of the law to save us. It can only condemn us. But then the power of the Spirit to save us by drawing us to Christ according to the Father's plan. So why Romans 8 in this broad study of eschatology on which we have embarked? Because of the helpful explanation of the already not yet nature of this life. That's a big part of eschatology, the study of in times, the end in, in things. So this already not yet tension that we find explained very well in Romans 8. And then also the tension of living with hope as believers in a world that cares little to nothing about the things of God. One day, the sorrows and suffering of this life will be behind us as we are brought into the glorious presence and full blessing of the Lord. So, what for now? Were we left to mope around until Jesus returns? No! Our hope of eternal life changes our perspective on life, and that should affect everything about how we live. So, to prepare for Romans 8, verses 18 to 39, our initial reading will be in Romans 8, 12 to 17, which sets up the text beautifully. But I'm only going to read these verses, verses 12 through 17, under one condition. Those of you who are constantly analyzing and evaluating whether or not you were saved, I mean, you've prayed the prayer, you believe that Jesus is your only hope to heaven, but did I do it right? If you will Hear these verses only as encouragement for believers rather than an analytical tool, uh, than as an analytical tool to determine whether or not you're saved. Don't think about you, think about the Holy Spirit's blessing to us. And if that's true, then I'll read it. And after our initial reading, we'll simply work through the rest of the chapter and then go out into the world. To live for Jesus with hopefully more understanding, more passion, and more expectation than when we arrived this morning. Romans 8, 12 through 17. Now I'm going to test your powers of observation, your ability to observe the text. There was a connection in these verses toward the end, verse 17, in fact, that connected with the sermon last week, so let's see if you can pick it out when we get there. Romans 8, 12 through 17, if you would please stand for the reading of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated. Well, I just thought in the spirit of the age, I would give you a little help on uh, verse 17. I assume you would find it Anyway, but just in case, we're going to find it again immediately in verse 18. Romans 8, 18 through 21. Let's read these verses together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It's not that the creation said, oh yeah, bring it on. But because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Suffering and glory. Why? Why does it happen? I don't know. But I'm increasingly confident that when Jesus returns and our bodies are resurrected, we will begin to understand God's magnificent plan for the ages and especially for us, his children, in ways that we never thought possible. I'm going to, I'm just going to imagine a Christian somewhere is like, this just isn't fit. And then the, the rapture happens and, you know, we're changed. And all of a sudden, it makes perfect sense. It made no sense before, but now it makes perfect sense. So let me ask you a few questions. We have new folks all the time, so... I know some of you have heard these questions a lot, and that's the reason you'll hear me repeat things. But these are important things. Do you think heaven will be better with or without a knowledge of hell? I think probably with a knowledge of hell. I used to think, I heard a preacher say it was compelling to me at the time, and I, it makes sense to me, but the other just makes more sense. Heaven is a a place of peace and perfection, and no more sorrows, and so it just stands to reason that we would not know about hell. That that's erased from our memory when we get there. But the more I think about it, the less inclined I am to to lean in that way. I, I tend to think now. That one of the blessings of heaven is not only knowing what we've been saved to, but what we have been saved from. And when you get to the martyrs in Revelation, they're calling out for God to avenge their blood. Now, we don't do that now. Abel's blood called out for him to be avenged by Cain, or, or on Cain, his for God to avenge his blood by putting Cain to death, which God didn't do immediately. Jesus' blood is a better better witness for the future. Jesus' blood calls out for forgiveness, not for vengeance. But by the time we get to Revelation, we're going to be back into understanding that God is going to do what He's going to do with His enemies. And in heaven, very likely, our knowledge of hell will enhance our understanding of heaven. The same thing is true with suffering. Do you think our existence in the new heavens and the new earth will be better if we have not suffered or if we have suffered in this life? I think if we have suffered we will appreciate at levels we would not have otherwise. To think about this is just the tiniest glimpse of the glory of our full and complete redemption and what that will mean to us on that day. Paul says there is no comparison. Now, look, we all know about comparisons, right? You're talking about a restaurant, you know. Say, say I'm I, I'm I'm talking about a restaurant with Rick Palmer, and I say, Have you been there? And he's like, Yeah, I've been there. And I'm like, Oh, that's really great. And Rick's like, Yeah have you been so-and-so? And I'm like, no. He's like, well, then there's no comparison. You just don't know what you're missing. That restaurant is something, but this restaurant that I'm talking about, there's just no comparison. It's not that kind of comparison, though, between suffering and glory. There is nothing in our experience, good or bad, that will prepare us for heaven, except, oddly enough, Suffering well for Jesus. I'm beginning to experience the challenges that age brings these days. <laughs> and while I understand that we were not created to die, and that's why sometimes you will, you will see very godly people who don't want to die at all. They, they're, they're actually afraid of dying. Nonetheless, the peace that the Lord gives his children is amazing. And truly, difficulties, especially age, but all kinds of difficulties can make us homesick for heaven, the place for which we were ultimately created. Now, whenever I say heaven, always remember, new heavens, new earth. Creation itself, we're told, is waiting to be fixed, or to return to its previous state, or even better. Interestingly, the creation is longing for God's children to be restored, so that itself, so that the creation itself will be restored. And N.T. Wright says it like this: the the, the creation is, is standing on tiptoes, just waiting, wanting to see. You know, I just talked about age, and then I'm close to the edge, trying to stand on tiptoes. This is not a good, this is not a good plan. I might give an example of suffering here if I'm not, not careful. When the children of God are revealed to be who God made them to be, then the creation will Verse 21 be delivered from bondage and share in the glory that we know. The creation was subjected to futility, we are told. In other words, when Adam fell, creation fell. We understand futility, don't we? Cancer, right? Right when Life is getting just so good things that you have waited for for a long time and then all of a sudden, cancer, job loss, pandemics, strife on how churches should respond to pandemics. Anyone lost your phone lately? I left my computer bag on an airport shuttle years ago and yes, my computer was in the bag along with many sermons that I thought I had backed up. Futility. So did Adam and Eve subject the creation to futility? No. Because the one who subjected the creation to futility did so in hope. So this has to refer to God. He's the only one who could subject creation to futility in hope. Once again, why did it have to be this way? Once again, I don't know. Believers are called to trust God for what we do not understand because understanding will be part of the glory that we will experience when we are with Jesus. What we understand now is pain. Verses 22 and 23. (laughs) For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Maybe... Maybe the way life has been the last five, seven, eight years is good for us because why do you long for heaven when you live in heaven? Not many people think we're living in heaven now. It's not very easy. Groaning is such an appropriate description. As Wesley Said in Princess Bride, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Thus, we groan. It is the groan of sadness and loss and mourning and discouragement when there are simply no words. Childbirth is a good analogy. I suppose I wouldn't know exactly. Childbirth is a good analogy because intense pain during labor gives way, quickly gives way to the joy that comes with the baby. Of course, this is an extremely long labor for the creation to be enduring. God's design for the world, though, is new creation, not corruption. Believers groan along with the creation. We, We have that in common. Even though our pain is confined to this life, it is pain after all, and we eagerly await for the adoption when we will be fully redeemed. But wait, haven't we already been redeemed Well, yes, if we have been saved, if we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, but we have not experienced the full benefits of our redemption. Now is the time for hope. I always love talking with seminary students, and I answer my own question. The question that I ask, I ask a lot of people a lot of times What are you reading these days? But with seminary students, I can quickly answer for them. You're reading whatever they tell you to read, right? Uh, And any of you who are in grad school, you're training in undergrad, high school, you're really pushing to, to learn. This is the time for training. There will be a time to apply all that you've learned. But right now is the time for training. And you'll never have an opportunity to do it at this level again. And it's going to prepare you for how to serve well down the road. Well, now is the time for hope. Not for fulfillment, but for hope in sorrow. Verses 24 to 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? I mean, I don't, I don't say, "Oh Lord, I just hope for a smoking hot babe from Australia to be married to me." Because I, I mean, it's, there it is, there she is. I mean, right now, it's it's reality. So I don't hope for that. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for patience. I did hope for that at a time, but. Now, we wait for patience. This is perhaps the best place in the New Testament to understand what Scripture means when it talks about the believer's hope, which is not a wish, but a promise of eternal life and what will be when those who have trusted Christ as their Savior are with Him in glory. These verses are also a very clear indication of the already, not yet nature, and tension of the Christian life. We have been saved in hope, yet we live with hope or in full assurance by faith of the full redemption that has already been promised in this passage. So how are we to function when life hurts? Are we to grin and bear it? Or is there some comfort to be found? Verses 26 to 27, which should not be read in isolation from the rest of this text, but in context. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He who searches hearts is God the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to his mind, his will. Notice first how the Holy Spirit identifies with us. We think about Jesus identifying with us. And meeting us in our sorrow, and He does. Oh my, does Jesus meet us in our sorrow. But the Holy Spirit identifies with us as well. The creation groans, we groan in these bodies, and now the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf before the Father. There is no doubt that we sometimes complain when we ought to dry our tears, get up, and persevere. But there are times when the groaning cannot be suppressed. And the possibilities for such times are endless from any number of relational and physical and, and, and bereavement trials. So we go to the Lord in prayer And the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf and God grants our request. Is that how it works? Not exactly. The goal of prayer is not that our will be done on earth, but that God's will be done on earth. So, what's going on here is a translation. When Ted... McKinney speaks to us, you know, about um, being in Suriname. And sometimes he'll, he'll give us a little uh, language that he uses when he's in Suriname. But if I were to go to Suriname, I would have to speak in English and someone would have to um, translate for me. So that's what's going on. So you might be saying, Lord, I just lost my job. I didn't expect this. But there's a perfect job right over here. Maybe this is your will. Maybe you've got this job for me over here. So, Lord, I pray that you'll grant my desire and let me be in this job in this other place. And the Holy Spirit says, Father, what your child means is uh, that she um, would love that job, yes, but that she wants to be a testimony for you wherever you put her. And in fact, if she gets this job that she wants, then it will keep her from blessings down the road that you have in mind for her. So please, Father, put her in another job. And even in the interim, help her to trust you in such a way that others see her faith and they are attracted to Jesus. And the Father says... I am with you, Holy Spirit. I'll grant that request. And that's what he does. So it's not God being mean or God saying, Why don't you, you know, straighten up a little bit? We'll give you, I'll give you what you I, I'll I'll give you what you need. No, it's it's this beautiful transaction and translation from our prayers. Through the Holy Spirit to the Father, and Jesus right there at the right hand of the Father interceding for us at all times. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit know what is best for us. And those requests are granted, those answers are given in love. We make two mistakes with prayer. First, we fail to pray because we think, What good will it do me anyway? I mean, God's already got his mind made up. (laughs) And so we don't pray. And so none of that interaction is going on. It needs to go on between the Spirit and the Father with the Son present. Second, we pray selfishly, always expecting, always desiring things to go our way. So wait, doesn't God want to give us good things? Yes, but like children who often don't know what is good for them and what is not, we're Often confused about this already not yet tension in which we, in, in which believers live. It realized or over realized eschatology. The idea that heaven has already come down in Jesus and it stayed. Even though he left, the Holy Spirit is here and, and we're children of the King and we can get anything that we want. Well, go home and try that with your toddlers and your, you know. Your, your, your preschoolers, see how it works out for you. Give them anything they want just because they ask you. Only now do we come to the verse that has brought comfort to so many people and has also been unwisely used in ways that result in more pain than comfort. I'm speaking, of course, of Romans eight twenty eight. As always, we need to read this verse in context. We've just seen how the Spirit helps us in prayer. We've talked about suffering and God's purposes in suffering. And now we see purpose following close on the heels of explanation in in Romans uh, 8, 29, and 30. So we'll begin with 28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to His purpose. And what is His purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn. He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Brothers, so and, and sisters, God's got this beautiful family that of which Jesus is the head. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So do you believe, do you truly believe all things work together for our good according to God's purposes and bring glory to him? How quickly you answer might depend on two things. Number one, the maturity of your faith. And number two, your age. (laughs) Have you ever said to yourself, I thought I was ready for anything. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've leaned on Romans 8, 28, and I've shared it with others. I thought I was ready for anything. But I could have never expected this. You know that cliche, that Christian cliche, God will never give you anything more difficult than you can handle. It's a lie. God will absolutely give you something greater than you can handle. And you may flounder for a while before eight, Romans eight twenty eight starts to bring you comfort. But in so doing, God is beautifully forming you into the image of His Son and also bringing you to a place where you trust Him fully. And again, it may never make sense in this life, but it's going to. That's our hope. It's all going to make sense. Even if you have come through such a difficult place, Whether you have come through it or not, Romans 8:28 is still true. Please make sure, though, that you have experienced God's comfort in a really dark place before you use this verse to help others, if you would. Proverbs 25:20 20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who rips away a garment on a cold day and like vinegar. And soda neutralizes so n- nothing. Do not sing songs to a heavy heart. Don't be a Romans 8.28 kind of Christian. Ro- Romans 8.28 is wonderful. But tell it in context to people who are hurting deeply. Let them understand that the Holy Spirit groans with us. And takes our deep sorrows, we don't even know what to say in our prayers, to the Lord. So that the Father will affirm and answer our prayers according to God's will. And in verse 29, we see we'll be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. And this has been planned since before the foundations of the world. God foreknew that he would save us and mold us into the image of Christ. He determined that it would be so, and he is working in our lives to accomplish his purposes. And so while we're here, we may as well go ahead and talk about predestination. Because God doesn't shy away from the topic that is far more controversial today than it was in the first century. Many of the first Christians were from the lower echelons, lower levels of society. And to be told that God had chosen them to be in his family, they didn't share the privileges that Roman citizens had. They were nothing, had very few rights in society. They were the mercy of other people. But now they're told you have been chosen to be in God's glorious family this brought great joy and comfort to them even as they suffered ridicule for believing in a savior that had been crucified you can't imagine how horrible crucifixion was into the educated and elevated minds of the Greeks and Romans and yet the Romans used it to terrorize people and to keep them in submission You mess around, this is what's going to happen to you. didn't happen to Roman citizens. That's why Paul was beheaded rather than crucified. Who would believe in a Savior that was crucified? I mean, there were reports that Jesus had risen from the dead, but who could believe such fantasies? Those whom God had predestined to be saved. That's who. But verse 29 says that he predestined those whom he foreknew. Doesn't that mean that God knows what decision we make when we are presented with the gospel? And so therefore, he puts his stamp of approval on it and predestines us. Really, that's what we think about God, that he has to be dependent upon our decision before he makes a decision. Decree, I really, I did not have that last sentence in the text. I did not mean to say it that way. Uh, uh, This was, though, an active foreknowledge, just like God foreknew Israel and called them to be his chosen people. You ever thought about that, that we have no problem thinking that God chose Israel, just, you know, Abraham, Abraham, wake up, you're the man. I'm going to do it this way. I've chosen you. And yet he doesn't choose us. I know there's a a broad spectrum of views on election and choice exist in our congregation. I hope you'll hang in there regardless of what you believe about predestination. Many, if not most people, develop their views about this doctrine over time, on the one end of the spectrum, there are those who thinks, who think that the Holy Spirit convicts us, and um, then we, he helps us to understand the gospel, and then we have the choice. In fact, we have free will. We're not robots, right? So God gives us free will. I get that. I get that argument. I, I understand it. I believed it for most of my Christian life. That's what. We believe. So God gives us the choice. On the other end of the spectrum, there's God chose you you don't have anything to do with it. Shut up. Let's just you know believe it and and move on. And then there's this great big broad uh, area in the middle, and we're kind of going back and forth in our life. Most traffic in the Christian church and in, in amongst Christian moves th- from over here to over here. But the finest theologian that I am. Blessed to be with, moved in the other direction. So, you know, who can say 100 percent? I will say this there are many more verses about predestination that those over here are going to have to explain than the other way. There are plenty of verses about free will and about our choice. So, I had a seminary professor, a very bright seminary professor, and when he said it, the instant he said it, I'm like, yes, but it helped me move in my thinking. Who said, here's God's will, here's our choice, our free will. They both operate at the same time, and neither diminishes the efficacy of of the other or the the, the the reality and the truth of the other. And if you say, how can it be that both of these lines are the truth when they are so far apart. Well that's for us to figure out. When our hope is realized. When we stand before Jesus. Then it will make sense. It took me many many years. To rest in the truth. That is presented in scripture. That God chose me. To be in his family. I used to say. I. I. Sought the Lord. Now I understand. He sought me. In fact he ran me down. One week. Before I got saved. I cussed. God and Jesus. With such blasphemous words. You, You just wouldn't. You wouldn't believe it. But he ran me down. And saved me. I know. That some of you. Are not to the place that you can say, okay, I'm content with the truth that God chose me to be in his family. That's okay. God predestined that you would be at this place. this. Now, I'm kidding. That kind of stuff used to aggravate the fire out of me. So, I know what it feels like. Look, I used to tell my Presbyterian friends who would come up to Teen Valley. Uh, and they would talk about predestination. And I'd say, well... And it's interesting that God has predestined that so many of them get saved while they're here at Team Valley Ranch, you know. And I thought I had trumped it up. But you know what? God's ways are, are mysterious. And it, it will take a long time for us to settle. Or if we settle too quickly and never think about the other side, then maybe it's time to think about it just a little bit. So. Really great topic for VBS Sunday, don't you think? I thought so. All that is happening in verses 29 to 30 is part of verse 28. God foreknew us. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. He called us. He justified us. And He glorified us. It was all Part of God's plan that we would be brothers and sisters to Jesus in this new, amazing family. It was a family that had already begun in the Old Testament with those who believed the promises of God. And now we've been included. We're all one in Christ. This is great news. The last aspect of our redemption that is mentioned in verse 30 is interesting. God glorified us. Now, it's maybe too much. It's not written, but i got to say it. In Scripture, we think about justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification happened the moment we got saved. That's what we talked about last week. God declared us to be righteous. Sanctification is our spiritual growth. If you're a little confused about that, doctrine of sanctification it's spiritual growth romans 5 6 7 and 8 do a great job of saying when you first get saved it's like i don't have to sin ever again then after a while you're like hey why am i still struggling with sin and then you get to romans 8 and it's okay the spirit helps us to do what the law can't do to save us and the flesh can't do to live for god it's only in the spirit So, that's sanctification. Justification is salvation. Sanctification is spiritual growth. Glorification is when we get to heaven and we are glorified and and able to stand in God's presence. When you are invited to some kind of big goings-on, you know, like a graduation party, what's the first thing you think Man, I got to get some new clothes because I need to look good, you know, at this graduation party. Well, not a graduation party, but if you're invited to a big, you need new clothes. You need, well, if God doesn't glorify us, we're not allowed in. Remember the parable? The wedding? He invited. They said, forget it. Go out into the highways. He gets in there. And they all have wedding garment. And the one guy doesn't have a wedding garment. And Jesus throws them out into hell is what, essentially, where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. We have to be dressed properly when we stand before the Lord. We're dressed in Jesus' righteousness. That's glorification. But now we're saying that, it says that we've already been glorified. Justification? Sanctification, glorification, that is a progress, but it's not past, present, and future. It's all past, present, future. Justified, we've been justified, we're being justified, we will be justified fully. We have been sanctified, glorified. We have been glorified already. Now, God will glorify us when we are resurrected and give us new bodies, but perhaps our hope is so certain, it's as if it has already happened. And when we are fully glorified, we will have full, complete, perfect understanding. Even so, our understanding grows in this life as we trust God's promises to be true, even while we suffer. Now, the things that I've just t- I've t- I've talked about today have taken me 51 years to learn. I mean, I understand this over 51 years. Even if there's the teeniest little piece that you latch on to, that's good. Some of you may be tempted to say, 51 years and that's what you got, you know? <laughs> 51 years and you're that <laughs> Crazy. About what you think. It takes time. To understand these. But our understanding grows. And that's what I have seen in Romans 8. This time. More than I've ever seen before. That our understanding is growing. As we get toward the day. When we will be glorified in Christ. And that brings us to the magnificent. Romans 8. 31 through 39. And if you're. Looking at your watch, you will see that we are out of time. So I've got two choices. One, I could simply read these verses to close out our time this morning. Or, in addition to reading these verses this morning, I could finish Romans 8 in two weeks when I will next be preaching. Ricky Lee is going to be preaching next Sunday morning. So I choose the latter Uh, Since we very much need to examine these verses that tell us how to live victoriously in the face of all kinds of suffering, including persecution, should it come to us on a greater scale. So why don't we read Romans 8, 31 to 39 together while the worship team comes to lead us in our final song. So if you would, please stand and read with me. I think this is going to be okay. I've tried to... Do a cadence and think about us all reading together. I believe it'll work well. And these verses, how beautiful. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring anything? nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.